0: Welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. Hi, I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville.
1: Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 10, called Blood of Patriots, which was written by Seth MacFarlane and directed by Rebecca Rodriguez.
0: There are no new reviews this week, but if you'd like to leave us a review, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a review below. You can email us at drive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join the Discord to chat with us at thegeekgeneration.com Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode, Katie has trivia.
1: I do. There's not a ton of trivia today, but I got some. The episode is called Blood of Patriots, which some people believe is a paraphrased quote from Thomas Jefferson, so it's inspired by that, which says, the tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of patriots. It kind of makes sense, too, because Thomas Jefferson is a big patriot in Mm. the United States, so I could see where the tie-ins could be. The second fun fact is Oren, if you notice when he's getting examined by Dr. Finn, he's missing part of his right ear. Mm-hmm. In real life, apparently, he actually has a missing part of his ear, and the reason is because he was injured in the 1990s and lost part of his ear. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know they don't really reference it on the show, but I since I found this fact, I was like, now I'm watching for it, and you can see like a missing part of his ear when he's being examined by Dr. Finn.
0: It kind of suits his character. You could say Mm -hmm. that he was abused by Krill or something like that.
1: Yeah. I thought, I mean, it it does. It fits in with his storyline so well. Yeah. There's a couple guest stars. Um, And speaking of Oren, Mackenzie Astin plays Oren Channing, who is Patty Duke and John Astin's son and brother to Sean Astin.
0: Yeah, I actually knew that.
1: Yeah. And Sean Astin, if you don't know, he played a very famous character in Lord of the Rings.
0: I know Mackenzie best from a recurring character that he had on The Magicians.
1: Oh, I've never seen that show, but I've heard it's good.
0: Fantastic show. And he was great in it, too.
1: Another guest star is Robin Atkin Downs. He plays a Krill detachment officer. And if you look at his body of work, he's done a lot of video game voice acting and has been in so many TV shows and movies.
0: Yeah, his IMDb list is huge.
1: It is. I was scrolling through it like, what should I cherry pick from it? I'm like, just if you're interested, Google him. Go look at his IMDb and see all of the crazy and amazing things he's been in. Yep. Another actor is named John Fleck. He plays KTV.
0: Yeah, the Krill ambassador.
1: Mm hmm. And so in this episode, he plays KTV, but he is portrayed
0: or sorry, KTZ,
1: KTZ. I was like, I know I'm I'm messing up one of those. Um. He plays several characters in the Star Trek series across the board. He's been next gen Deep Space Nine, Voyager and Enterprise. And in Enterprise, he played a very prolific role of a character called Silic.
0: Yeah, that's another I wouldn't even know what he was in all the other things. But to have someone that has been through TNG, DS9, Mm -hmm. Voyager and like that's crazy.
1: He's been through four of the Star Trek series, which is pretty cool. And I mean, they're under makeup for this, so you wouldn't be able to recognize them. But it's really cool that they are a part of this.
0: Yeah, I always love that.
1: And so that's all the fun facts and guest stars for this episode.
0: Okay, in the mess hall. A ceremony is being held to award Yafit with the Sapphire Star for his heroism during the Kalon conflict. Following the ceremony, Mercer is notified that he has an urgent call from Admiral Perry.
1: Was it just me or did it look like Yafit was dirty?
0: A little bit. That might be leftover Kalon oil.
1: Yeah, I was in the I I can't remember. I'd have to go back and rewatch some of the first season. But it does look like Yafit's a little more scarred, a little more grungy than he used to be. And I wasn't sure if I was just going a little crazy or if I was actually noticing that. And I was like, he was like fried inside of a K-Lon. So it it makes sense. I think it's kind of cool that he got recognized for what he did.
0: We've said how many times he tends to get looked over. So it is nice to see him. Yeah. Get that recognition. Finally.
1: Finally. And it's called a sapphire star, which I I like that. I think it's got a nice ring to it. (laughs) I
0: do too, actually. Yeah. In his office, the Admiral informs him and Grayson that the Krill are ready to negotiate peace. Because of the undercover mission he and Gordon went on, along with his previous relationship with Talaya, Ed has been chosen to handle the signing of the Lockvai Pact, something the Krill use as a prelude to a peace treaty. The Orville will rendezvous with the Krill ship to meet their ambassador and secure the signing of the Lockvai.
1: It is interesting that they got selected. It makes sense because of their track record, mm-hmm. and they've had a lot of interaction with the Krill, is that the whole thing with the Kalon has bridged this gap now, where the Krill? are realizing that being affiliated with the union is safer than them being alone.
0: Yeah. We had talked about during identity, how we were wondering how this relationship with the krill was going to progress. And I'm glad it's being addressed pretty much right away.
1: It makes sense. It is interesting to me that the krill are the ones initiating it. Mm -hmm. But I think that they've always had that power in the relationship where the union's like, yeah, let's be friends. But the krill were always like, nope, Avis doesn't want this, but apparently something that happened as big as seeing how powerful the Kalon are and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think that's that kind of philosophy played into it.
0: Yeah. And Captain Dalek said in identity as well, that Avis has brought them together for a reason. Mm -hmm. So the Krill might be initiating this out of the fact that, hey, our God wants this to potentially happen. So we should probably pursue it.
1: I'm so curious what all of this will mean down the road. Yeah.
0: As the Orville approaches the Krill ship, Bordas detects a Krill shuttle in the area, and the Krill ship is firing upon it. The shuttle hails the Orville and requests emergency docking, so they open the shuttle bay doors and activate deflectors. It crashes into the shuttle bay, and a team rush to their aid. Tala rips off the door, and Dr. Finn examines the pilot, who's unconscious but stable. He's accompanied by a woman who appears to be terrified of them. As Gordon secures the console, he turns and recognizes the pilot, his friend Oren.
1: Okay, few things. Yeah. Firefly. I got major... Okay, you've seen, you've seen Firefly, right? Yeah. And Serenity. Major... I think her name is Summer Glow.
0: Yes, plays River. Yeah.
1: Big River vibes here.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but good catch.
1: Yeah, so when I was watching this, I was... And I love Firefly to no end. I was like, it just felt too similar mm-hmm. to me a little bit in this at least the moment and I think it's just the whole thing felt fishy to me right from the get-go just it didn't something didn't seem right and so I think maybe I was just unsettled by that and then when Gordon recognizes him it's like oh god what does this mean but I just I couldn't get the firefly thing out of my head mm. the whole time I was like this is like firefly
0: yeah yeah no I completely get that yeah and it was a little unsettling a little off something was a little amiss from the beginning yeah and i always wonder how from a storytelling perspective and the the writers like what they're doing to kind of plant those seeds in us to make us feel that way like were we supposed to realize that something was off from the beginning or were we supposed to buy into this from their perspective
1: it is something that i i think it made me uneasy and that Is it a testament to the writing over me just being like, I don't like this. This is too much like Firefly. It's more of like something feels off and I don't like it. Yeah. So it's not like I don't like the story. I just don't like it It makes me uncomfortable kind of thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's triggering something inside of me. Mm -hmm. On the bridge, Mercer is speaking with the captain of the Krill ship. He demands that they hand over the criminal who they claim is responsible for the destruction of four Krill vessels, three of which occurred in the last 30 days during the ceasefire. He also claims that Oren is in possession of a powerful weapon, yet nothing was found when the crew searched the shuttle. He agrees to meet with Mercer aboard the Orville to discuss the matter further.
1: Oren kind of denies all of this, right?
0: Oh, yeah. He says he doesn't have a weapon. He didn't blow up any Krill ships.
1: I think Oren in general just rubbed me the wrong way. I feel like Oren, as much as I was like, he's an old friend of Gordon's. I'm like, I don't know. There's something sketchy about this dude, like right away. And... The krill are very like aggressive, but I don't know. I've never gotten the impression that they would lie.
0: That's a good point.
1: Like, I don't think that they'd be like, "I'm going to make up this story so that you give me this." Like, I don't see as problematic as the krill are. I don't foresee them being like weaving tales to manipulate because they have this like super religious structure in their yeah. life. Now, you know, to say like, what what would they gain from saying this guy specifically blew up their ships?
0: Yeah, what's the motivation? Uh, that was part of my issue too. Is I. I couldn't side against the Krill here. I mean, I wanted Oren to be just Gordon's old friend who is a good dude. Yeah. That's not a good story, though. But <laughs> I I didn't see a motivation from the Krill that would make me question what they were actually saying. So I wasn't sure what exactly the mystery was. Like if someone yeah. was to be at fault here or if there was maybe even a third party at play.
1: So Oren shows up with his daughter, question mark. and. She was so much dirtier than Oren. Yeah. By the way.
0: True.
1: So like, there's just something amiss. And then like how Oren acted was kind of aloof and like, don't question me. I've been in a prison camp for 20 years. Yeah. And I just like something doesn't feel right. And the fact that the Krill are here now, trying to do peace talks with the Union, and they didn't call it off because of Oren, yeah. even though there was ceasefire that had been breached by Oren. It's just. It already makes these uncomfortable peace talks more complicated by him being involved and then trusting someone who used to be a, a union officer to somebody who is a leader in the krill government, I'm assuming, or the krill what would they be? What would what, they be?
0: What would this group of krill be?
1: Yeah, representatives?
0: Well, we know they have they have a captain, they have an ambassador. Yeah. So just as, I guess, the Federation had their ambassadors with which they reached out to other races, the Krill has their own ambassadors. I wonder how many Krill ambassadors there could possibly be Mm -hmm. because this is not a race who's reaching out to anybody. (laughs) So what were the ambassadors doing up to this point?
1: I have a lot of questions, Rob.
0: Yeah. (laughs) As Ed and Gordon are walking towards sickbay, Gordon tells him how he and Orrin were best friends from grade school through their time at Union Point. While they were stationed at Outpost 23, the Krill attacked and killed Oren's wife. Afterward, Oren and his daughter, Lena, disappeared and were assumed captured or killed.
1: So my understanding is Gordon and Ed go way back too, right?
0: They do, but not as far.
1: Okay. Do you think there's any overlap with Oren?
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to guess no, because if that were the case, I feel like Ed would know of Oren. It doesn't seem like he's even heard of him.
1: Yeah, because that was, that was interesting to me because of how, in the first episode of Orville, they meet and it's like, they are buddies from back at school. Yeah. And so I was like, where did Oren fit into this puzzle? I guess they weren't always working together, so maybe it was after that, or they just had their paths crossed at separate moments, because I, I was surprised that Ed in general had never heard of Oren.
0: I can headcanon that maybe by saying that what happened to Oren was so traumatizing to Gordon that he doesn't like speaking about it.
1: Yeah. Well, he was captured. His wife, he thought, had knew, had died, but he thought the daughter was still alive. And that was one of the things, too, with Oren. He's so defensive. Yeah. Like, he's just not. I mean, in which I understand from, like, a PTSD standpoint, that makes sense. That fits the bill. Yep. To have anybody question you, and then maybe if you fly off the handle, it's not uncommon, especially if you've been in like an awful situation like a prisoner camp for 20 years. Might have a grudge. Maybe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> in Sick Bay, Dr. Finn revives Oren, who immediately asks about Lena. Claire assures him that she's resting in guest quarters, but won't speak or receive medical attention. Oren tells her that it's the result of how she was treated by the Krill, and she hasn't spoken in 12 years.
1: That was weird. Because that also gave me Firefly vibes. Mm -hmm. River talked a little bit. True. But not a lot. So I was like, wait a minute. Now she doesn't talk either. (laughs) Her hair reminded me of River. There was just a lot that in my head, I'm like, is she just essentially like, because the Krill go, he's got a weapon. Yep. My immediate thought was, oh, it's her. Yeah. Because of Firefly. I mean, she was like a trigger word and then she just kicks some butt. And so in my head, I was like, oh, she is somehow... The weapon and those parallels I couldn't like change my brain on. Yeah. And I just I found myself not liking Oren.
0: I don't think we're supposed to like Oren that much. I
1: know I wanted to, though. And I think that's my struggle with it is I really wanted to like Gordon's old friend who had been through some stuff.
0: Yeah. I I also don't know how old Mackenzie and uh, the actress playing Lena are. Mm hmm. But I didn't necessarily buy that she was his daughter.
1: No, because Gordon's probably, what, 40-something?
0: Maybe, like young 40s, late 30s.
1: Late 30s, young 40s, because I thought that too. I thought the daughter seemed kind of old for being his daughter. Yeah,
0: even though they said it's been 20 years, so...
1: Yeah, I guess she looked older than 20. Yeah. And perhaps that's me just being awful and
0: not... And who knows how old she was when... They disappeared, supposedly.
1: I think it was like one year old or something like that.
0: So, yeah, I don't know. I just I had some some hard times reconciling their age.
1: I think maybe that was part of it, though. Yeah. They are the epitome of like in real life when you look for red flags. They are like the embodiment (laughs) of that. So it's like, oh, this is a lesson that I can use in my real life, too. Like I can see um, how to apply and look for these red flags so that I don't end up in a situation like this.
0: This is a learning episode. Mm hmm. Mercer and Malloy enter, and Oren is happy to see his old friend. Before they can reminisce, Ed informs Oren that the Krill are demanding his return to their custody for violating the ceasefire. Oren claims to know nothing about the Krill ships or the ceasefire, and tells Ed that he and Lena barely escaped from the Krill prison that they've been in for the last 20 years.
1: All of it's just fishy, and then like, of course, they're trying to negotiate a peace treaty, and the Krill are, we want him back, because he's kind of like a prisoner of war. And then they're like, no, he's a union officer. And it just it, it creates such a compl- you're trying to set up peace with the krill. And then now you have this silly, complicated situation. Yep. And it's like, what do you do? It just seemed like it made an already tense situation ten times worse.
0: Oh, yeah. The big drama of this episode is, hey, we're trying to settle a peace here or negotiate a peace here. Mm-hmm. And here's this bomb right in the middle of it. Both, literally and metaphorically,
1: yeah, it hundred percent it is just a inconvenient timing of things. But we find out later he's just flying around blowing ships up with Envol blood. Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot that I think this episode makes me frustrated because I don't want to see Gordon in this situation.
0: <laughs> Always have sympathy for Gordon. Yeah. In the shuttle bay, the Krill detachment has arrived, and per Merce's request. Tala is stalling to put them through needless boarding procedures. In his office, Ed is looking for evidence to corroborate the Krill's claims when Gordon comes in. As the two discuss the matter, Ed assures him that he has no intention of handing Orrin over, but his sudden appearance couldn't have come at a worse time.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's just trying to be sensitive. Like this is my old friend, but like people can change in 20 years and you don't know what the situations are,
0: especially in a high stress situation, like being in a prison for 20 years with a race that they know to be pretty barbaric.
1: Yeah. I just found myself asking, like, how did he get out? How did they escape? Like there was just so many pieces I wanted more information on. Yeah. That I, I don't think we ever really got an answer to, which is fine. So it's one of those things where I was left with more questions than I had answers, which is okay. But I think in this situation, I would have loved to have like a little more backstory.
0: True. Also, the pea corner is getting more use, so that's good.
1: (sighs) Coming back, that pea corner is just like a permanent fixture now.
0: (laughs) Mercer and Grayson are meeting with the Krill in the briefing room who continue to demand that Orrin be turned over. Ed attempts to steer the conversation toward the peace talks, but the ambassador furiously insists that if the criminal is not turned over, there will be no peace. They're given 12 hours to make their decision. It's a lot of time.
1: I can't tell if you're being sarcastic.
0: 12 hours? No, I think that's more than enough time. I, in the same situation, have been like, you have an hour, two max? Like, we're not leaving. Mm-hmm. You could do something with the prisoner. We need to keep an eye on all of this.
1: Yeah, guess that is i mean to me i'm like that's not that much time but this in the same vein what is enough time and is not enough time. so i just wish that he didn't show up and that the krill i i think i would have been from a story perspective more interested in this could be from my next generation days the political talks between the krill and the and the union i feel like i wanted to be more of a fly on the wall for that and i was like can can Orin just not fudge this up because I've been I mean, from the first episode, the Krill are pitted against the Union. They're, they're like you said, barbaric and have some crazy things mm-hmm. that they've done and the stories that they've had on the Orville so far. So I think that in some ways, I know at this point it hadn't come up, but Gordon just kind of blindly being like, I'm trusting my old friend was kind of frustrating to me.
0: It's a little frustrating, but I get it because those friends that you have from your early childhood You can't form like you can make a lot of friends and you can have a lot of loyalty, Mm -hmm. but it's never going to compare with those people that you've had in your life for like my best friend has been my best friend since first grade. Yeah. Like nobody's touching that. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for somebody to come in if they were to and be like, hey, I think your best friend from first grade is shifty. I'd be like, you get out of here. Like, I know him better than anyone.
1: What if 20 years passed and you both had never seen each other or talked to each other?
0: I would question it, but then he's basically my brother. Yeah. He's basically my brother. And when it comes to family, it doesn't matter how far or how long you're apart. As soon as you're back together, it's like nothing's changed. But I think that's also part of the problem Mm -hmm. is that Gordon's mentality is that they're back together and nothing's changed. He's not seeing the new Orin.
1: No. And there's, like I said, there's like very much PTSD and symptoms of traumatic things that have happened. Yeah. And I think Gordon does his best to like navigate that, but you can't like, that's something that has to be, I mean, he might, did he just get out of a prison camp?
0: That seems to be it. It seems like being aboard that Krill shuttle was the escape. Like he just got out and they just got here.
1: Okay. So that was something I wasn't like, I, but they, they hit, three ships in the meantime
0: so their story is they just got out okay but that wasn't the case they got out i think they end up saying later on it's been like a little over a month to a little close to two months that they've actually been out and within that time yeah they've hit three krill ships
1: that alone there's just things that i think i had a lot of stuff i couldn't head cannon. okay and so i think that was my hold up with trying to like Navigate the episode myself. Sure. And I, I found myself craving more information.
0: I get that, yeah. There are certain things that are left out for one reason or another. hmm In their quarters, Lena is playing Boladon discs while Oren and Gordon catch up. Gordon thanks him for saving his life and offers his condolences for his wife. Oren insists that the peace they're attempting with the Krill is a mistake and gets offended when Gordon says that peace could bring some meaning to his wife's death.
1: I get that there's some things that you just I don't know when you're when someone's dealing with the death of a loved one like that's not really your place to say what would provide meaning and what wouldn't right I get why Orin's upset I get it and um this doesn't mean that he's handling it the right way true so that alone I'm sometimes just I myself I I struggle with the fact that Gordon doesn't seem to get that sometimes I feel like and in this season especially Gordon just Comes across as a little immature at times, mm-hmm. which I, I think fits the character really well. But I root for him so hard that I just want him to have good scenarios and good situations.
0: It's almost because he's a little bit immature that we also root for him because it's almost mm-hmm. like he's a little naive and a little innocent.
1: Yeah, I for sure sometimes just wish he is more um, assertive Yeah, or more questions things a little bit more. He's very trusting. That's the, that's the word I'm looking for. He's just a very, and that's fine. That's not a bad thing. It's just, it's tough when you want someone to do good and you're like, no, just wait, hold on. Let's, let's reevaluate the red flags here. This episode's about learning red flags. So let's talk about it.
0: <laughs> when someone is that trusting, you want other people to treat them right. Yeah. To kind of validate their faith in trusting other people.
1: A hundred percent. Cause I, that's one of the things is like, he's a good person. Yeah. So You don't want to see bad things happen to good people or someone be manipulated. And that's essentially what this episode was, was watching Gordon be manipulated. Yeah. For the most part.
0: Even so, this is, I think, a really great scene within the episode itself. Yeah. the one, I'm super happy to see another side of Gordon. Yeah. Because he's mostly served as comic relief. He gets those cheeky little one-liners every now and then. Yeah. But... I'm really impressed with what Scott Grimes can do when they give him more. Yeah. We haven't got to see him kind of stretch this part of his acting muscle on the show so far. And Mackenzie Aston is fantastic here as well. And pretty much in the whole episode, really.
1: Yeah. There was the dynamic between them is really good. Mm -hmm. Despite me going, I hate this. And I I use that not in the way of like, I hate the episode. I guess I'm trying to over explain myself, but just kind of going like, oh, like I I know something's bad here.
0: I think that's the feeling you're supposed to have, though. And that that I just know. even accentuates how effective they were at playing these roles.
1: Yeah. Still makes my heart go, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> Poor Gordon. Yeah. In the mess hall, Kelly and Tala are sitting with Lena. And Tala shows her a pelpifa, a musical instrument from her planet that combines musical tones with holographic patterns. Short little scene.
1: Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Like the... The light waves.
0: Holographic images. Yeah. Just kind of coming yeah. off of it.
1: What did you think of the music? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the way she was playing it too. I was like, this is just intriguing. It's like, um, I can't think of the name. That chess game they played.
0: The Boladon discs.
1: It was, it was similar to that where it's neat to see future tech, like future fun. <laughs> it's the future fun. Like it's neat to see the the pieces that are part of culture in the future because mm-hmm. there was really like this was supposed to be i think again drawing to ptsd a soothing thing for her yeah. to work through her issues and I, I liked that they included that and then you got to see something that's a really fun future fun thing like a f- like like future recreation because you don't see a lot of that on shows like that
0: yeah and just a little extra piece of Zelean culture
1: yeah which i'm always more curious to to hear about and see
0: yeah also, uh, does Dan have a thing for his lands in general, or does Dan just have a thing for every woman?
1: Dan just wants to be loved, Rob. <laughs> I think that he's he's a, he's the epitome of a nice person who tries too hard, but he's got a good heart.
0: I never said he didn't have a good heart. <laughs> he just gets on my nerves.
1: I know. I think he might have a thing for his lands. I think he just wants love. I think he's kind of him and Dr. Finn should get together.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, (laughs) just going to throw that out in the universe.
0: (laughs) Ed stops by Tala's office for an off-the-record conversation. He asks her what she thinks of Orin, and she says she doesn't trust him. There's no evidence to prove he destroyed the Krill ships, and she found no weapons on his shuttle, but he just rubs her the wrong way. Before he leaves, Ed asks her to keep an eye on him. What do you think about uh, the course of action here? Like, Ed's asking questions off the record, and Tala's opinion of Oren, it's all very, like, unofficial. Is that something we support?
1: I almost feel like it is official, though. Like, it's with ship security. Yeah. I think because it's it's Gordon's friend, it's trying to be handled more delicately. Or maybe, like, Tala doesn't show up on the bridge like, Oh, that Oren guy. I think maybe it's supposed to be on the down low. Maybe that's the type of security vibe we're going for.
0: That feels more accurate to me, yeah.
1: I don't want them to do anything. I think it's just being thoughtful of Gordon's feelings. Yeah. I don't trust him either, so I'm on complete agreement with them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oren stops by engineering and starts snooping around an inventory area. He jumps as Tala asks him if he's looking for something and claims that he just got lost.
1: Mm -mm. He was snooping around the the engine room. He was touching things he shouldn't. And uh, yeah, he, he got he got caught. Like the way he acted was he got caught. Yep. Why wouldn't Tala check the the drawer?
0: I think she looked at it, but one, she might not know what the inventory is, and two, nothing was actually missing. He didn't take anything at this point.
1: Oh yeah, he came back and got it. That's right. I hate it. I hate it. It's so it's so skeevy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Super suspicious behavior. Major foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And Oren had kind of rubbed us the wrong way up to this point, but at this point, it's like oh. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. He's not a good guy.
0: Yeah. Tala reports the behavior to Mercer and Grayson, and Kelly asks her to have Lamar check if anything's missing. They then make a call to Admiral Perry, who tells them that based on the importance of the treaty with the Krill, the Admiralty is considering a provisional extradition treaty if they found out that Oren's guilty. Makes sense. With what's at stake, yeah, it kind of yeah. does. Plus, they're only considering it if he's guilty. Yeah. So I don't think that's necessarily the wrong thing to do if this guy's out there blowing up Krill ships.
1: Yeah, and then then just as things unravel, it's very clear that, oh boy, just the whole way the episode ends too, there's just a lot here where they're trying to make peace with an entire race that they've been at war with for how long? Like this is a huge thing they need to figure out. And they've been at this point dragging it out and the Krill... I remember the part where Tala is kind of like reading off the regulations, making them pee in cups and like, yeah, that would be so frustrating. Like, from, yeah. like you don't want to do that.
0: Don't put any barriers in between <sighs> getting that peace treaty signed.
1: They had to go pee behind a crate like there's some stuff where it's like <laughs> maybe there's concessions that shouldn't have been made just to protect this person.
0: I agree. Ed then meets privately with Gordon to ask if Orrin has said anything to indicate that he may have violated the ceasefire and tells him about the possible extradition. Gordon insists that Orrin is a dedicated officer, but had admitted that he thought peace with the Krill was a mistake. When he says that he agrees with Orrin, Ed accuses him of letting his friend get in his head, so Gordon angrily tells him that he's just jealous of their friendship.
1: That was a low blow for no reason. It was. I guess I get it, but also, no. Like, I didn't get the impression from Ed at all throughout this episode that it's a we go way back further, so I feel threatened. Yeah. I never got that vibe, and there wasn't really much interaction between Ed and Orin.
0: Also true. I also don't think Gordon was 100% sincere here, both in the fact that I don't think he thinks peace with the Krill is a mistake, I also don't think... He thinks that Ed is jealous. No, I just think he doesn't have any other way to defend his friend. And he jumped to something that he thought he could use.
1: It's like hurting someone with something, you know, will get under their skin. Yeah. And it's a way to take back control, I think. Yeah. Because I think at this point, Gordon may see some things in Orin that aren't quite right.
0: I agree. He's just in a really tough spot in this episode. Yeah. There's the peace going on between these two pretty much warring races. And at the same time, he's caught between like his two best friends. Mm -hmm. That's super stressful. Yeah. When Gordon tells Orin about the extradition talks, Orin suddenly shifts gears and asks him if he can acquire a shuttle so he can stop the peace talks. But he won't say how he'll do it. Gordon refuses the request. So Orin lays a huge guilt trip on him. Now you talked previously about how low cars guilt tripping and manipulation made you feel. Mm-hmm. How about this one?
1: I hate it. I don't <laughs> like this at all. Mm. Oren is using his past wounds or past situations to manipulate somebody who cares about him. And that's maybe it's because he's been in a prison camp and it's just survival mode. but it doesn't excuse the way that Gordon's been trying to help, and he's using Gordon. Because when you find out later for a freaking suicide mission, yeah. that's not okay.
0: No, that is...
1: <laughs> it's not.
0: <laughs> bringing your friend on a suicide mission without telling him is absolutely 100% not okay.
1: Not okay.
0: <laughs> Lamar notices that some quantum storage cells are missing from the area where Oren was snooping around, but there's no actual quantum plasma missing, and there doesn't appear to be any of it elsewhere on the ship. Gordon is shown to be listening closely to the conversation, but doesn't speak up. He's just kind of doing that. I hear this behind me, but I'm not going to react to it because I know a little more than I should and I don't want to say anything.
1: Yeah, it sucks because it's like I said earlier, you want Gordon to be successful. And it's just like, man, someone put him in this real crappy situation. And now he's trying to figure out what the right thing is to do.
0: Yeah. Gordon stops by Tala's office and asks if she'd like to get a drink with him. Not as a date just to get to know her better. He orders the drinks from the food synthesizer and downs his immediately before telling her that Orin asked him to steal a shuttle so he could stop the peace. He hasn't told the captain yet, but he's torn between betraying his friend of 30 years or betraying the ship and Ed. He asks her not to tell Mercer so that he can be the one.
1: That whole conversation was really enlightening to watch, the fact that Gordon goes, I don't know what to do or what the right decision is. And then when Tala says, you've made your decision. Yeah. I was like, inwardly cheering, like, yeah, because Gordon went to the security officer to tell her this, no matter what, it was going to be resolved. So he did inherently know what the right thing was to do. And he wasn't going for advice. He was going to figure out what to do is how I felt. And so then they came up with a plan. And I, I think at that moment, I was like, when he said, let's get in a shuttle or whatever, after, I knew that it wasn't him betraying. It was that they had come up with a plan to handle this.
0: Yeah. The episode does try to swerve us mm-hmm. a bit to make us think that Gordon is siding with Orin. But I don't think it necessarily worked on me either.
1: No. I went, okay, they came up with something. Which maybe that was the intent. So that maybe. we, as the viewers, knew. And um, you still don't know what's going to happen. But you kind of know inherently
0: because it's not long before they reveal mm-hmm. that there is an actual plan in place. Yeah. We next see Gordon walking through the halls with purpose before entering Orin's quarters and saying, let's go. The two sneak into the shuttle bay, only to find Tala waiting there. Before she can stop them, Gordon pulls out a blaster and shoots her. They enter the shuttle and leave the Orville.
1: Yeah, that's when I was like, yeah, they they came up with some sort of situation here to uh, kind of trap him. Trap Orin.
0: Yeah, they wanted him basically to admit how he was getting all this done, which was the one thing they still hadn't figured out. Mm -hmm. I, uh, again, have to praise Scott Grimes here, because when he's talking to Tala in the shuttle bay, he somehow managed to portray a slightly different version of Gordon, who was acting. Yeah. So he was acting like someone that was more noticeably acting, but it was still subtle enough to where it wasn't a blatant, like, horrible performance. Yeah. That's a nuance that is very difficult to hit, I think.
1: Would you have wondered if Oren would have picked up on that, like, if he started acting a little differently?
0: Maybe, but I think that's that's how good the subtlety of it is. Yeah. It's enough to where I think it registers with us, but we could say it passes for normal Gordon behavior for other people who maybe haven't seen him in 20 years.
1: See, that 20 years can make all the difference.
0: <laughs> it can. On the bridge, Bordis informs Mercer that the tracking device aboard the shuttle is working. Tala awakens in the shuttle bay, having only been stunned, just as the Krill hail to inform them that they'll arrive in 30 minutes. Gordon and Oren cloak the shuttle, and Oren orders him to set a course for the Krill ship. When Gordon asks what the plan is, all Oren says is, Trust me. Boom. He's been so trustworthy up to this point.
1: I hate it. I hate it so much because it's like, I don't trust you. And the fact when it comes out that it was just a suicide mission, awful. Trust you.
0: Trust me, you're going to die?
1: Yeah, trust (laughs) me, we're going to die here. And like, my cause is right. Like, it's any kind of radical view of something where you feel justified in what you're doing. But you don't bring unwilling participants into that.
0: Yeah, at least tell them. He knows, obviously, that if he had told Gordon, Gordon's not going to agree to this.
1: No, obviously. So he knows in some and in his heart of hearts, it's not the right thing.
0: No. And it's not what a good friend would do. Nope. (laughs) Tala goes to check on Lena and notices a series of syringe marks across her arm. She calls Dr. Finn to report to the Channing's quarters. But Lena puts a knife to her throat as she finally speaks. Tala throws her against a wall injuring her and causing her to bleed yellow blood from her nose. When Claire arrives, she sees the blood and pulls Tala away before ordering for a force field to be activated around the quarters, along with a nitrogen purge.
1: Did you notice that it was yellow blood? I did. I don't know why I didn't notice that. It looked orange to me. Or like or- reddish orange blood, maybe.
0: Well, yeah, like a yellowish orange. But here's the other weird thing, though. If the blood is yellow... Why were the syringe marks red on her arm?
1: I don't know, Rob. <laughs> Maybe it's because they get irritated.
0: Like, I don't know the science of everything, but...
1: Well, what color would they have been? Like, I guess it I, it wasn't noticeable to me that she had yellow blood. Like, to me, it oh, looked okay. like kind of something was off, but it just kind of looked like blood to me. And so the big reveal that she's an end ball is kind of... I don't know. The fact that she had all these marks, why would they take it off her arm? that's an easy place to spot it too
0: yeah it might have been the quickest place or the easiest place we don't know involve anatomy or anything no that's the other thing but i will say that knowing that she has yellow blood explains her complexion a little bit i feel like she didn't have the warm complexion that humans it
1: looked anemic yeah kind of. exactly yeah
0: so that kind of explains that part to me but it also explains why i wasn't necessarily buying the she was Orin's daughter because there was something off about her appearance, even.
1: Yeah. She was really dirty, though, like dirty and sick, really sickly looking. But it was excused away by she's been in prison camps. Yeah. She doesn't trust people. But that's why the reason didn't want to have an exam was because she was this race. More lies.
0: <laughs> Dr. Finn informs the crew that Lena isn't Channing's daughter. She's an Envol, a race of beings whose blood contains a compound that becomes explosive when combined with a nitrogen-rich atmosphere. They piece together that Orin has been using her blood as a weapon to destroy the Krill ships, and that without torpedo launchers in their shuttle, Orin and Gordon are on a suicide mission.
1: Glad they figured it out, but it was almost too late. Yeah. We get like a little snippet about the Envol, but it's very much like just kind of a, not like a throwaway thing, but just kind of like, here's a... For lack of a better word we're dropping this bomb on you
0: yeah a major piece of information out of nowhere
1: mm-hmm. and then that's when like the climax of the show is just like uh-oh because he activates the bomb on the shuttle yeah like shortly after this
0: yeah and even though the info on the end balls and everything kind of comes out of nowhere like there's no way to predict that that's what's happening here i still no. kind of like the solution to the mystery I feel like it checks out from a science fiction logic perspective. Like, oh, okay, these people have blood that reacts with this and it becomes explosive. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can buy all that.
1: Yeah, it wasn't too out of left field that you go, huh?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like it, it was like
1: that was like what they were building towards. I think
0: as the Orville sets course to pursue the shuttle, Gordon demands an explanation from Orin, who reveals that his daughter was killed twenty years ago along with his wife, and that he's been using the Enval woman's blood to destroy krill ships as an act of revenge gordon pulls a blaster and contacts the orville and Orin jumps him after they fight Orin starts a timer on the blood bomb and goes to set a course for the krill ship but gordon blasts and destroys the console before he can
1: i like that you called it a blood bomb
0: <laughs> i found it to be the best name i don't know
1: it works i think Hmm. i'm just disappointed at this point yeah just the way Orin is acting is so entitled. And so I try to be empathetic because of his situation. He's lost his wife and his kid and he's been tortured by Krill. He's clearly mentally ill. It's just, it scares me and makes me sad that he dragged Gordon into all of it. Yeah,
0: he's at a point of no return, clearly. Like, he's already started acting on his vengeance. And if he had gone about it alone, that's one thing. It's still not right. But at least at that point, he hadn't brought in an innocent person that we care about. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, when you yeah, especially when you bring in someone that we've grown to love over all these episodes, it's just he's almost a villain. Well, he is a villain to me.
0: He has a rational point of view. Okay, maybe not rational point of view. He has an understandable point of view. Like, I get how he got to where he is, but yeah, still definitely villainous.
1: Very much so. He's. He's like the good guy who turned bad in all the Batman movies.
0: Pretty much. Gordon grabs some spacesuits, but Orin refuses to put his on and abandon his mission. He steps into the shuttle's airlock and leaps into space as the shuttle explodes behind him, which sends him hurtling through space. Fortunately, it's not long before the Orville grabs him with a tractor beam.
1: Nothing is more anxiety-inducing than seeing someone spiral through the blackness of space. It was a bummer he tried to save Orrin. And then he just had to go. I mean, he had no he had no other solution but to put himself in a suit and go out.
0: Yeah, that's the way out of this.
1: Mm-hmm. And I I didn't see any thrusters on the suit because I was like, maybe he because when he started spiraling, I was like, oh, God, because you could just do that forever yep. in space. And that the best way to describe all of this for me was just Ugh, because it's stressful to think about that.
0: It's stressful just to be on the precipice of leaving the shuttle staring out into the empty blackness of space, knowing that you've contacted the Orville, but not knowing if they're going to find you in all of space.
1: This is what my brain was doing. Are there thrusters? Is there some sort of tracking device? <laughs> Does he have a way to communicate with them? Like, I was doing all that, and then, luckily, the tractor beam yeah. locks on him, brings him home.
0: Also here, I think, too, we see Orin's level of psychosis. Like, he's yeah. staring at and holding that blood bomb as if it's Actually, a member of his family, like it's his dead daughter. He has that thing clutched like a baby, and he's not taking his eyes off of it.
1: I know. I mean, he's very sick, yeah. And so it's just unfortunate that this is the precipice that he's gotten to, where he's just devastatingly vengeful.
0: Back on board the Orville, Captain Mercer and the Krill ambassador both sign the lockfile, and then stops by Gordon's quarters to offer his sympathies and admits that maybe he felt a little threatened by the friendship he had with Oren. Malloy reassures him that they're both rock solid, and the two then decide to grab a drink over stories about Gordon's old friend.
1: I thought that was nice, but I never got the impression that Ed was jealous.
0: I didn't either.
1: Maybe it was just an olive branch.
0: Yeah, I think it was a way to wrap things up a bit, and I thought it was a very nice gesture Mm -hmm. on Ed's part to be like, hey, let's go talk about your friend that you're clearly mourning, even though I think Gordon's rationale of like, hey, Oren died a long time ago. Yeah. That guy, that wasn't Orin anymore. It's a way to justify it to himself, but I think Ed's gonna help him through that process a little bit. Like, let's talk about the Oren that you do remember now.
1: Gordon's gonna have some of his own PTSD now.
0: So then what is your big takeaway from this episode?
1: Sadness. <laughs> I, I feel like I wanted to love this episode more than I do, but I think because it made me so uncomfortable. For some reason, just the manipulation from Oren wanting the peace treaty with the Krill to work out. The fact that someone would blindly take someone they once cared about into such an awful situation. I think the show was successful in making me feel that way. And I think that's maybe what the intent was. But I walked away being just kind of bummed. Just bummed out.
0: That's understandable. There are episodes where that might have been its point. Yeah. And it could be a good episode, but not one you really want to watch.
1: Yeah. And I think the whole part where Gordon is leaving the shuttle was really well done. And it was very stressful. and. I think this episode in general just made me think more about a lot of things that could apply to real life, like relationships and doing your duty, but also trying to be a good person. And there's just a lot of things that I think it brought up more than just it being like, oh man, they're in space and old friends come back and the Krill are like, it was just more, I think, emotionally raw than other episodes have been. And so I think my big takeaway was that it just... It was a bummer because of this, what happened, but I I think that that made it effective.
0: Okay. It was interesting. When this episode was coming up, I was kind of dreading it because I didn't remember it fondly, Mm -hmm. but now having watched it again, it is a better episode than I remembered.
1: I was in the same boat. Yeah? Yeah. I was not looking forward to watching it because I think the first time I watched it, it also brought up those uncomfortable feelings. But I think that's a testament to the storyline and being like, oh, it's effective.
0: Yeah, I think it's a good episode. I just have a hard time watching it because it is so good at what it's trying to do. Mm -hmm. I do think it still suffers a little bit, though, from following the epic scope that we saw in Identity, which would be hard for any episode to do. Uh So I think its placement also kind of hurts it a little bit. But I get going to doing an episode that's a little more emotional and internal. Then something else right after a big episode like Identity.
1: Identity part one and two are just epic. Yeah. Like, I think, like you said, nothing following that would have been. like. Can you imagine if they followed up Identity with something as equally epic? I don't think it would have been as effective for Identity one and two then as well.
0: Uh, Like I said, I'm really, really happy with what Scott Grimes got to do here. He got a lot more Mm -hmm. to do. And watching Gordon become more developed of a character. Was also pretty great. Like we haven't gotten a lot into his background at all. Yeah. And he has been, like we said, kind of the comic relief one-liner type guy. But seeing a little more of that backstory and a little more depth for him was really, really nice.
1: He's gotten a lot more action this season. And it's been, yeah, like you said, it's been really nice to see his growth and also get more insight into him as a person versus just making quips on the bridge.
0: Yep. And uh, if Identity was about the ability to adapt and change this episode feels largely about the reverse. It's the difficulties that come with achieving peace when there are people who are locked into one mindset and lack the ability to deviate from that point of view.
1: Yeah, it's like that radical thought process where you can't, there's not a logical point of view that they will understand. Right. It's hard to watch.
0: It's tunnel vision. Yeah, it's, it's hard to watch and it's frustrating. And I think that's what makes the episode So difficult to rewatch If you like think about Going back to it like I don't think This would be an episode that I watch a lot Yeah but I can appreciate it for what It is same before we Go we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband Mark is also a big fan Of the Orville and always leaves us With his one sentence review
1: The signing of the Lock of Eye in our house is when Katie and I start asking each other, what should we do for dinner at 1152 AM?
0: Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com.
1: If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks... You can visit our Patreon campaign at slash support.
0: You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at The Rob Logan.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Play Katie Play and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. And Katie is spelled K A T I E.
0: Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode.
1: Finally, questions and comments can be sent to Quantum Drive at thegeekgeneration.com.
0: We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.